Well, we are in, again, uh, Psalm 119. We are nearing the end of this study. Uh, we are in stanza number 20, which begins in verse 153. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, closing out this study because I think these last couple stanzas are so fascinating to me. And in fact, I cannot wait to preach next week because next week is going to be really interesting. Uh, I wanted to finish out this study on this psalm at the close of this year and it's going to work out perfectly. Next week we are going to do stanza 21 in this, in this hour. And then in the main service we're going to finish stanza 22 in the main service. And, and we're kind of all kind of review. So if you've been here a lot, you're going to hear some things over again, but that's okay. Uh, and so for people who haven't been here on Sunday uh, for the Sunday School Hour, they will be able to kind of get caught up to speed uh, on this chapter because the, the last stanza is probably my favorite in the entire chapter. So I can't wait to preach it next week. But this week, we are in stanza number 20, uh, verse 153. It goes down through verse 160. And let me just read it, and then we'll kind of walk through it this morning. Uh, Let me read, starting in verse 153. Here's what the psalmist says. He writes, Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. Plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do not, or do I not decline from thy testimonies? I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Again, I love this stanza, and I, can't, I, I agonized over this stanza a little bit because I didn't want to be so repetitive, but I cannot help but look at this stanza and just see how full it is of legal language. Language, how he says at the beginning, consider, and then also especially that first word of verse 154, plead my cause. Or we, we talked about this a couple of stanzas ago when we were talking about Jesus who acts as our surety. He acts as our stand-in, our representative. And I hear, I think, I, I can't escape that again, he's pleading for that. He is crying out for God to be that for him. That scene, the scene that's conjured up when we think of a courtroom. You know, someone who is guilty standing before a judge's desk, waiting for the gavel to fall on his verdict. It's a familiar image. We've seen it either in pictures or books or in movies or TV shows or what have you. We're familiar with that scene. Hopefully we haven't been there ourselves. (laughs) But we're familiar with what that scene evokes. Right there in that room is your sentencing. Life or death. There's something that happens. The stakes are understood. We understand what is at stake here. Your life or your death. And I think, I just want to walk through this stanza. Not in sort of an outline-y way, but just walking through it verse by verse. Because I think what we can see here 
is a, a fascinating, a very uh, vivid picture of, again, the, the Christ who is our advocate. The Christ who is, I might even say, uh, hearkening back to this courtroom, the Christ who is our attorney. Because look again, look at verse 153. He says, consider mine Affliction. He begins by calling out to God to consider me. To really, really, what he's saying is see or look, perceive my condition. Uh, look in regard at what I am in, the state that I'm in. Take notice of me, of my condition. Take notice of my need. We've seen this throughout this chapter, and we've, you can see this throughout David's life. That in here, he's, you can see it again in his words. His condition is one of desperation. His need is dire. It's at his, he's at his wit's end, we might say. It's pushed him to the brink, this affliction. And he's crying out to God. Consider my condition. Take my case. He's surrounded. Look at verse 157. He says, Many are my persecutors and mine enemies. They're all around him. Those that are opposed to the word, those that are opposed to the faith that David has, they are surrounding him. They're all around him, either from without people who are actually afflicting him with their words, or from within, the guilt that he feels inside himself. He can't escape it. He's being afflicted constantly. It's almost as if he cannot escape this oppression. He cannot escape what he is being afflicted by. And he recognizes this. Such is why he's calling out here. He's crying out for help because he knows that his condition, his affliction, his state, where he is right now, demands rescue. He is not able to survive without it. And notice what he leans into. Notice what he pushes into. Notice, again, verse 153 and then verse 157. Because notice he says, Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. And then verse 157, Many are, thy pers- are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. He feels this affliction. He feels this oppression. And notice what happens. He doesn't forget. He doesn't leave what the word says. He pushes into it. I'm not declining from what your your word says. Even when all around me appears opposite of what you've promised, I'm leaning into your promises. I'm banking on what you have said. I'm not forgetting your testimonies from what you have said, from what you have assured me of. He's staking all of his life. He's putting his weight, we might say, on this word of God, on the promises that derive out of this word of God. I love that. He is oppressed and afflicted. Opposite of what God has promised him. And yet what is he doing? He's banking and leaning harder on the promises. This is something that has always challenged me. Because we can be in life and we can, be, we can have this assurance that God has brought us to this location or this point. Or God has led us here. And then when it doesn't work out. 
When the plans are upset, when God changes our, 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 our lives, the course of our lives, when he brings affliction, something unexpected into our lives, what do we often say? Why did you let this happen? <laughs> we, can, we can sometimes shirk or forget what God has said. Here David is doing the opposite. He's leaning harder into what God has said. Even when affliction and oppression, I would say especially when affliction and oppression come on him. He's leaning into the word. Leaning onto these testimonies. He turns. Consider me. He's turning to the only hope he knows for all the help that he needs. He's turning to the only hope that he knows can help him. It's this God. This God who stands for him. And this is what we have promised in the gospel. This, to me, is one of the most wonderful assurances of the word of God. That when we cry out for God to consider us, guess what? We have a God who considers us. We have a God who sees us, who regards our condition, who notices our affliction. He sees every sorrow we endure. He sees, and there's that verse, I think it's in Psalm 55, where it talks about uh, that God catches our tears in his hands. That's how intimately he is aware of what we go through. I think of, of, of that one, well, let me read those verses. You don't have to turn there, you can write them down. They're familiar to you probably. Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, where David again cries out and marveling at this idea that God would consider him. He says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Insert yourself there. Who am I that thou art mindful of me? Who am I that thou considerest me? That thou notice me? It's a marvel. David is marveling at this very idea. That the God of everything. The God of creation. The God of salvation. The God of all of this universe. He notices him. This is the assurance that we have. That when we cry out, consider me God, notice me, see me. God does. He sees and notices. And he cares. To me, I think there's no greater comfort in this word than the fact that the God who spoke and worlds were formed is the same God who notices us. The same God who considers our affliction. Who is coming close to those who are afflicted. But notice verse 154 because he doesn't want just he doesn't want God to just notice him. Notice verse 154. Consider mine affliction and deliver me. That's verse 153. <laughs> For I do not forget thy law. Verse 154, plead my cause and deliver me. Quicken me according to thy word. David doesn't want just God's attention. He wants God's action on his behalf. Don't just see me. God, I want you to act for me. I want you to be my attorney. Be my advocate. Speak for me. Speak on my behalf. 
He stands guilty. He stands condemned. He knows the law. He knows what the law requires. The law has done its work. It has incriminated this king of of Israel. It has incriminated his life. He is guilty. He does not deserve anything. It has found him out. He's crying out, sort of as his last hope, which is his only hope. It reminds me of those, you know those scenes in like, in like, uh, like law shows or cop shows where they, they come into the interrogation room and they're like, we know that you did this. And then the person, the, the guilty person is quiet. And then what do they say? I want a lawyer. <laughs> and, the, and then it's almost like you know that they're guilty because they're calling out for a lawyer. Why else would they want a lawyer in this show uh, unless they have something to uh, defend themselves for? <laughs> But I, I'm reminded of that because David crying out, plead my cause, is almost like him saying, I need a lawyer. <laughs> I need someone to stand up for me. I need someone to plead my case. The law has come. You are condemned. And he's in that room and he's saying, I need a lawyer. I need someone to stand for me. I need outside assistance. I have no hope in myself. I cannot argue my case because my case is completely worthless. He needs an advocate. And when we cry out, consider me, plead for me, the gospel promises, assures us we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. This is the good news. That when we cry out, I want a lawyer, Jesus takes our case. Jesus stands at that bar in that judgment room. And he argues for us. This is what the gospel tells us. That we have a God who not only considers our affliction. But remember in Isaiah 53 where it says that he is acquainted with our grief. Let me, let me read the verse. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This God He's not afraid of our griefs, of our sorrows, of our affliction. He is a God who not only sees them, but he takes them as his own. He stands in for us, the ones who are afflicted. And also, the gospel assures us of also this, that we have uh, someone who is way stronger, who is better and way wiser than any other uh, accusing force or accusing word. Yet anything that might accuse you, we have attorney. We have an attorney, an advocate, who is ready to acquit us, to exonerate us, to stand there And say, you are free. Let me read you this verse. I love, I came across this verse, Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 50, verse 34. Write this down. Listen to this. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is His name. He shall thoroughly plead their cause. 
that he may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. It's a promise to his people. It's a promise to us too. You have a redeemer who is strong. You have an attorney who is ready to give a defense for you. To plead your cause thoroughly. To plead your cause and leave nothing undone. The defense of Jesus secures our acquittal. It exonerates us. It delivers us. Notice in two verses, he's prayed twice for deliverance. Deliver me, he says. And this is what Jesus does for us. He considers our case and he pleads our case for us. He stands for us, the ones who are afflicted. He stands and argues our case before the Father. And I love this. You know when like... uh, if you've, ever, if you've ever had to have a lawyer, or if you watch a lawyer show on TV, they go through this process where they determine, right, if this case is worth taking. Can we, can we, can we win this case in court or whatever? Sometimes they even, you know, they secure a retainer. They secure a fee. If you just pay this forward, we are going to argue for you. We're gonna, it's just kind of security for the lawyer that whatever happens, they, they get paid for what they've done. They get paid for their work, and they're expensive. I love the fact that we have an attorney who doesn't investigate if our case is worth taking. He takes it. He doesn't secure a retainer from us. He takes our case. Why? Because he is a gracious Loving advocate. He is a gracious, loving attorney. He doesn't perform any sort of inquiry to make sure our case is worth taking. Because if he did, he would find out that we are absolutely guilty and he could not win our case in court. But he takes it. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen. That before that gavel falls and declares us guilty, he is going to take our verdict for us. He's going to clear our name. By having his name marred and put as if he was guilty. This is all that's required of the gospel. See, this is what I love. That there's nothing else. There's no retainer we have to pay forward in order to secure Jesus arguing and taking our case. All that's required is you to be needy. You to be desperate. Listen to what one writer, this is a Scottish old pastor, his name is Thomas Guthrie, and he writes this, Your warrant lies in your very wants. Your plea for mercy in his merits. Your plea for an interest in his merits, in your own demerit. Was he saying there? You're the only requirement of the gospel is you to be needy, you to be desperate. Which means... Everyone qualifies. <laughs> Everyone qualifies for Jesus' representation. We don't have to meet a certain set of criteria. We don't have to do anything to pay it forward. We meet his criteria. If we realize, like David, we are afflicted, we are desperate, we have no other hope. Jesus is our attorney. He's the attorney for the hopeless. And notice verse 155. I have to hurry. Verse 155, he says, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. 
Those who did not find the Lord to be their advocate, they are disconnected from salvation. Salvation is far from them. Deliverance for them is distant. These wicked ones that I think David is talking about, I think of the people. If you've, I like to watch law shows. I, used to, I told you a couple weeks ago, I love watching Law and Order. But if you remember, I think it sometimes happens in that show where the, the guilty person would want to be their own lawyer. How many times did that ever work out? Very limited times. It almost never worked out where the person was like, I'm going to make my own defense of myself. People who make their own representation, salvation is far from them. Mankind thinks he can be his own lawyer at this judgment seat of Christ. And guess what? Nothing that he says at that judgment seat will clear his name. The man who goes to that bar and serves and tries to make his own representation to represent himself. Salvation is far from him. Salvation is so far. Our words cannot clear our names. That's why David, I love at the end of verse 154, he says, Quicken me according to thy word. The only way that David knows that he will be cleared, that he will be exonerated, is when his attorney speaks for him. When he is quiet and he lets his advocate speak. Not any of his words, not any of his argumentation. And such is the sad state of mankind, that he thinks that he can save himself, that he can work or weasel his way out of, of eternal damnation by offering his own argumentation. But in the end, those who seek to represent themselves in this law in this courtroom, they're really just embracing their own ruin. They're just embracing the fact that they are undone. And such, I'll just mention, in verse 158, that's why David is so passionate about these wicked ones. He says, I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. He was grieved over those who, uh, who sought to represent themselves. There's no other verse, no other thought, I think, that should stir us to evangelize the lost than that. It's, you're saying to them, you are trying to represent yourself, and you are embracing your own guilty verdict. Why not trust in the one who has taken your guilty verdict already? Because notice, verse 156. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. In contrast to those who have salvation far from them, those who find Jesus to be their advocate, they find that all of his dealings with us are nothing but mercy. He says, Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Great are thy mercies. They are abundant. They are mighty. They are strong mercies. They are stronger than any word that comes up against us. They are stronger than any accusatory voice or argument that comes up against us. These mercies are stronger than all of them. And I, I love that the fact that David calls them tender mercies. If you look it up, it, it, it has this idea, it has this sort of, it evokes this image of just compassion coming from one's bowels. Bowels like deep inside of you. 
Mercy is at the deepest part of who God is. It reminds me of those wonderful verses that he does not, where it talks about, he does not love to judge. He is a God of loving kindness. It doesn't please him to exact justice on those that deserve it. It pleases him to have mercy. He loves showing off how merciful he is. Such is why he stands in this courtroom and takes our verdict. Why? Because we didn't deserve it. It shows how incredible this merciful God is. He pleads for us. He pleads for those who didn't deserve his pleading. And I love the fact. I'll just close with this. I'm running out of time and I wanted to finish this. So uh, verse 160. Notice he says, thy word is true. From the beginning, every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. It all comes back to what we've been talking about from the very beginning of this, of this study through this chapter. What is David relying on? The word of God. What is David trusting in? It's the word of God that tells him about his advocate. It's the word of God that promises him he has an attorney. He has one that will stand for him in that judgment day. One who will take all of his guilty condemnation on himself and will give us a gracious no condemnation. This word alone is his certainty. It's his confidence. It's his foundation. Why? Because it is true from the beginning. Is a certainty that never changes. It is a word that promises us assurance and deliverance. And it never redacts that. It never retracts. It can never be changed. This mercy is given to us. It's promised to us. It's granted to us in the sacrifice of Christ. David was looking forward to that promise. We are looking backwards on that assurance. But both have the same confidence of faith, which is what? It's a fact that cannot be altered. It has already happened. It's a definitive fact that Christ has taken all of our guilt away, washed all of our sins by his blood, and his words now speak to acquit us, to free us, to exonerate us, to absolve us of all of our condemnation. This is our beloved, our blessed advocate. Who stands in for us. Who stands at this bar of judgment. And he speaks words of mercy. Of tender mercy. Words that say what? I I will be the guilty one. Words that say, that harken back to 2 Corinthians 5.21. I will be made sin. Me, who doesn't know sin, I will be made sin, that they might be made the righteousness of God. This is what our attorney does. It would be the most unexpected courtroom scene if it was ever put on television. Imagine a TV show, imagine Law and Order. (laughs) The attorney stands and says, I will take their verdict. This mass murderer who deserves all of the justice that's coming towards him, I'll take it. That's what Jesus has done for us. This is what our advocate has done for us. 
And this is why we can rejoice. Because we have a God who considers our case and pleads for us. And takes all of our guilt on himself. God be praised. We have an advocate who stands for us before the Father. Let us pray.